Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where supermodifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Inside Groove, presented by the fine folks at IPC Indy, Indy Performance Composites. want to say thank you to Jeff West and his staff for being such loyal supporters of this show, and also to uh, the folks at JNS Paving, Rich Worth, uh, a loyal supporter as well, and we're going to talk about Rich in a moment. Uh, and I can't forget, of course, uh, Skip's Fish Fry, Sean and the staff, uh, best fish in the city of Oswego, period. End of discussion. Okay, it has been a while, folks, and uh, again, I want to um, apologize for the sort of infrequency of these shows lately. Um I can assure you that uh, it hasn't been because I've been on vacation somewhere. Quite the opposite, in fact. Um, Over the past uh, couple of months, some opportunities have surfaced for me for uh, 2021 and beyond that are opportunities of a nature that I would never have ever thought possible to be honest and so i cannot yet spill the details but um hopefully by maybe our next show and certainly uh before the end of the year we'll have um some details on what's going on um as most of you know who have known me for any length of time my overarching goal with anything that I've ever done in terms of media or promotion or you know whether I'm working with a driver or a team or or a track or a series whatever it is has always been to grow whatever it is that that I'm working on help people grow and succeed that's really been um my overarching goal with everything that I do and <clears throat> trying to use what I do to, um, you know, to fill a need to, you know, just uh, and to entertain people, frankly, that's that's what we're all here for. Um, you know, the reason anyone does a radio show ought to be uh, not for their own ego or, you know, whatever, but um, for their audience and, and to uh, in some way either educate or entertain or. Um, you know, just generally add some value to the lives of the people that they're working with. So, uh, or that they're doing the show for that are listening to the show or, or watching the show if it's video. So, uh, I will say that over the past couple of years, uh, three years, four years, you know, several years, the internet, as a lot of you know, has changed rapidly. I mean, there was, you know, when there was a time when, um, <clears throat> there were a million written media, um, you know, daily kind of news media, written articles. There's still obviously a lot of that. Um, and there's still definitely a place for that. Um, I wrote enough in the first, uh, 
20 or 25 years of my evolution as a motorsports media person that there was a period where I kind of got burned out with it. I just really, I wanted to focus more on audio and in this sort of format, but I had to educate myself a little bit because there's a, a pretty big difference between doing a show on a local radio station for whatever local audience can hear that show and doing a podcast like this or doing a digital show that's kind of designed for a broader audience um, or where your audience is sort of scattered and you have to figure out how to reach them. Um, there's a lot involved there, probably more than a lot of you realize, um, and certainly more than I realized. And it's taken me, I'd say, the last three or four years to really get to a point where I feel like I finally <laughs> understand the uh, the tricks of the trade a little bit. And as such, over this past six months or so, I'd say since about May or June of this year, I've started a quest to to kind of elevate everything that I'm doing media-wise to elevate the shows in terms of how to make them better, getting them out to a bigger audience. Um, we I wanted to get back to video, even though personally I could care less if I ever look at a camera. I think I have a face for radio, but... The internet is video. That's really what we're doing now these days is so much of this is, is video based. Um, and there is a place obviously for these audio podcasts. And I know a lot of you enjoy them as you're going back and forth to work. Some of you listen to it in the shop. Um, you know, whatever it is for you. I know, uh, some of you that, you know, on a, on a morning, if you know, maybe you're, you're tired or you, you don't work till later or whatever, you kind of like to take the show and, sit on the porch with a cup of coffee and listen to it. However it is that you find that it fits into your day. I'm thrilled with that. And I um, honestly, the the whole first couple of year run with this show, um, I've just been blown away by the feedback that you give me and how much you are all enjoying the, uh, the guests that we bring and the fun that we have. And so as it gets to the end of another year, um, calendar-wise anyway, and what has been a really super challenging year, and for me, in many ways, both personally and professionally, um, not the best year by any means. Um, It's been a struggle. Um, But uh, I want to take a moment, first of all, to, again, say thank you to all of you, because... Uh, you know, without you guys listening to the show and giving me the feedback, there'd be no point in doing it. And the reason I brought it back in the first place wasn't because I needed another project <laughs> to do every week or every couple of weeks, um, but because I wanted to capture super modified history. I wanted to provide something that I felt like was missing, obviously, which really has been two things. One, I wanted to give the legends of our division um, an opportunity to sort of tell their story in a way that could be preserved for, you know, future generations to go back and and listen to. Um, and 
enjoy and to realize the the great history that supermodified racing has and its its place in the overall motorsports landscape how many of our guys have gone on to indy or nascar or you know whatever um and at the same time i wanted to um be able to 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 talk to the current drivers and current uh you know provide coverage of current races and all of that and of course this year has been you know considering there was relatively little super modified racing to cover um it's been a bit of a challenge because there just hasn't been that current aspect to it. So, you know, obviously we've all struggled this year with COVID and the challenges that it's brought. And I know that um, a lot of us have had family, either we've had it ourselves or we've had family or friends that have had it. And, and you know, it's just, it, we know about all of the, the various challenges and the things and the ways that um, it's changed our country and 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 the way that we you know deal with everyday life and the things that they tell us we can and can't do and so forth and I don't want to make this political that's not why I'm bringing this up my point is this it is December the 6th um 2020 and as tough a year as we've all had in the sense of um you know what what that what covid is has sort of brought into our lives um, we're still sitting here talking about super modified racing and this show in particular, episode 65, um, sadly is a memorial show. It wasn't going to be that way. I had a guest I was going to bring on this week, but then, um, early in the week, we got the news that, uh, Todd Gibson had passed away and, I felt like it was only appropriate that um, we take some time and remember Todd. And again, as as we are wanting to do here, not just remember Todd statistically. We we know what Todd accomplished in terms of wins and championships. We know about his huge season um, at Oswego Speedway, which set the bar for Jimmy Champagne eventually, and then Doug Hevron to, um, to, to, to meet that bar. Um, we know the races that he won. We know that he went to Indy. I was interested in wanting to understand and to reflect upon who Todd was as a person and how he went about doing the things that he did and what it was like to kind of be a part of all that. And so, I thought about who could I get to talk to without imposing on the family um, who obviously is still going through a a rough time this week. Who could I get and uh, that could kind of bring that element to us? And so the first name that popped into my mind was Jim Ferlito. For those of you who know Jim and have known Jim for a period of time, Jim, Jim is, I mean, there are, there are certain people when you think about super modified racing and sort of the history of it, there are certain people who you would, you, you, you kind of look at as ambassadors. They're people who have just always been there, who have always been trying to, um, 
serve the sport and, you know, in, in some way be a positive part of the sport. And Jim Ferlito, um, I could spend a whole show really talking about Jim. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I, I met Jim back in the mid eighties. Uh, and, you know, I won't go into a long story about that, except to say that from, Jim was, Jim is one of those people that from the moment that you meet him and you have a conversation with him for the first time, you realize two things about Jim. Number one, he is one of the nicest gentlemen that you will ever talk to. And number two, he eats, breathes, and sleeps supermodified racing. Uh, he's been involved in other things, dirt racing and such. I'm sure, I think he loves it all. But what, he has been so much a part of the sort of the fabric of Oswego Speedway for so many years um, and he was, that was kind of at its apogee um, in the 60s and 70s with Todd. Um, you know, Todd was among the first that sort of um, helped to build that because Jimmy used to live next to my aunt and uncle out in southwest Oswego. And um, Jimmy's house was basically the, the, the waypoint or, or the stopping point, um, whether you stayed at Jim's house or whether you just stopped there on the way to the track and maybe, you, you know, you stopped there afterward and on your way home or whatever. Um, so whether you were sort of using it as your hotel or not, um, you know, that was sort of the one of the hot spots uh, for, for, for drivers to gather as they came in from the West. Um, and so I thought, well, gosh, um, that Jim is the perfect person to talk to. And so, um, Jim and I spoke a little bit earlier in the week and then, um, he was gracious enough this past Friday to sit with me and spend, we spent the better part of an hour. Uh, we talked about Todd. We talked about his super modified career. We talked about how Jim came to know him and kind of his relationship with, with the family and um, Jim, of course, was the PR part of um, Todd Gibson's IndyCar effort um, in the mid-70s. And so we talked to Jim about that as well. And it was a really awesome conversation. And I think we I think it manages to capture Todd Gibson, the man, um, as well as anyone aside from the family probably could. And um, you know, again, Jim is, he's been a part of the media. He's been a car owner. He's, you know, he's done so much. He's been, um, you know, he's worked, he worked with uh, the Eagle program for a while. Wrote a column, wrote a column for that. I, I, I love going back to the seventies. That's one of the things I like about reading the old programs. I get to read Jimmy's columns. Um, and Jimmy kind of would branch off and talk about what was going on the dirt track scene up there in that period of time. And I feel like, um, when Jim left, you know, Bill Foley came in with his making tracks column and kind of did that exact same thing. So that that was one of the cool things about the program back then is you could get that little bit of dirt track and NASCAR and whatever else. So um, it just added an aspect to the program that otherwise was obviously mostly focused on what was going on directly at Oswego. Um, so I hope that you enjoy that. We're going to bring that to you in our next segment. Um and this show is really going to be rather compact in the sense that 
um, the closing segment that will follow that will be fairly quick. We'll kind of have a little fun with the number 65 because this is episode 65. Um, and I know we've got uh, a couple of classics yet to review. Um, we're going to get back to that and pick up where we left off on our next show. Uh, and I will tell you that uh, my goal for the next show, and I, <laughs> I haven't reached out to him yet, so he may hear it for the first time on the show. Mikey Bruce, I'm coming for you. Um, th- this... Um, <laughs> Rich Worth Rich Worth has nine cars now. Um I don't know where uh I don't know where they're sleeping. Uh I don't know if they still have a dining room table or if there's a an SBS car sitting there and they sort of just uh you know put a little card table uh, on top of the car like uh, Bentley Warren did back in the 70s and eat off the card table or I don't quite know how that's working these days but uh um Rich Worth has has lost his mind. Uh I am fully expecting that the next announcement we're going to get sometime before the new year is that Rich Worth is now the owner of Oswego Speedway. Uh and so it's the only thing he doesn't have. He's got SBS car, he's got 350s, he's got supers. He he might as well have the track, right? It's the only thing, the only piece to that puzzle he doesn't own or at least maybe he could buy like turn 4 or something, right? Um, and, uh, you know, then impose a law that says nobody can pass one of his cars in that corner. Um, whatever is going on, (laughs) I don't know if it's a midlife crisis. I really don't know how to explain this, but, um, I'm going to rely on his driver, Mike Bruce, who's going to be driving the super, um, and who honestly, uh, You know, Mike has never lacked for things to say. If Mike's got something to say, he's already said it, right? So um, looking forward to talking to uh, Mike uh, on our next show. So we'll uh, find a way to work around his schedule and mine and and make that happen for next week, uh, next Sunday, uh, is when we'll release our next show. And um, so I'm looking forward to that. So that's what we got coming. And I've got a I've got another legend I'm working on. Um, It's really been my fault. Uh, that, that I haven't been able to, to make this connection. But again, there are just things that I've been working on kind of behind the scenes with my business. As you all know, this is what I do for a living. So um, as much as I wish I could do it for free, I can't. Uh, the electric company just doesn't understand that. So I have, I've had to kind of, this is sponsor season, which translates to advertising season for me. So um trying to, see what we can do for 21 and um again there is a uh a project that has um come into my life that i really didn't seek which is why i know that there's something really inherently good here because i believe this is you know coming from from god um you know i've been praying for a way to sort of elevate what i'm doing and and be able to have a mechanism that allows me to bring a much bigger audience and something much greater to the people that depend on me for all this content and these shows and, you know, the few drivers that I'm still working with and that kind of thing. Um, I've got a series down here I'm involved in next year. Uh, so there's been a lot of kind of other work, and I've I've really kind of had to, to sort of close ranks a little bit and just keep my head down. And then, of course... Uh, 
Uh, those of you, again, who have known me for a while know that on Thanksgiving weekend, for the last 20 years, I've been in Batesville, Mississippi, as the voice of the O'Reilly Auto Parts National Indoor Kart Championship. And <laughs> we had our 30th edition this year, 30th annual of that. Um, and without, again, without boring you with a long history of that event, it went from Memphis, the Memphis Fairgrounds, where it started, to Tunica, Mississippi in 2001. And that's when I came in, was the first time that they held it in Tunica, brand new arena. And Tunica at that time was kind of like a mini Las Vegas. They'd had a lot of casinos come in. Um, it was it was an amazing place. Uh, unfortunately, it fell on some really really hard times, and it's it it's kind of uh, Tunica County went from the poorest county of Mississippi to the richest, and it's kind of back down again. And I hate that. But um, in the mid two thousands, the event moved to Batesville, where it is now, Batesville, Mississippi, about an hour south of Memphis. And we peaked at Tunica with, I think it was 1542, something like that, 1542 entries for this two-day uh, indoor dirt cart race. And we moved it to Batesville, and at that time we were still shade over 1,000. Then it kind of, um, karting in, in general in that region kind of fell off a little bit. So we didn't have the local numbers to pull from, so we dropped to, you know, eight 900 entries in that area. Um, this year... 30th annual event, 1,504 entries, uh, 22 main events each night, um, so plus qualifying, and there was one voice, me, um, and that voice was kind of reduced to about 70% by the end of Saturday, uh, <laughs> But uh, it was a lot of fun, and so that I'm over there all week for that because we have different media-related things that go on, and um, I'm working on the event behind the scenes. In the mid midweek, the production crew came in. We actually went with uh, Pit Row TV, uh, which is an affiliate of the Speed Sport TV network, and so for the first time ever, the event was live-streamed um, on Pit Row TV and Speed Sport TV and uh, we also have about, a, I think it's two one-hour shows, two slots uh, on MAV-TV coming up. I think it's sometime in the first quarter of next year, there's going to be an hour show that will highlight the race. Obviously, we can't show you all the races in that hour, but it's it's going to be a mix of interviews and, and some of the, the, the coolest races. And um, so that was a lot of fun, and uh, it was cool seeing Donnie Schatz get on a go-kart for the first time, too. Ten-time um, World of Outlaws Sprint Car Champion. His nieces are in our Junior 2 class, and um, they each won. In fact, uh, gosh, I think it was Amelia. Their names are Amelia and Layla Eisenshank, and uh, I think it was Amelia that won. She won two or three races this year, and and I think Layla won one. They both won. I can't one won several, and the other one won, just won once, I think, but... Um, really nice young ladies and uh boy have they improved it's been so much fun watching them uh progress and improve over each year that they come because obviously they have a whole year of racing before they get there each year and so seeing the amount of improvement each year for those two under donnie's tutelage and this year donnie decided to get himself a go-kart and go racing himself and uh ran three classes qualified for one so that gives you an idea you know, it's a very hard show to make, one of the hardest in all of go-kart racing. So that was a lot of fun, and that was uh, that was uh, a good time for me. And um, 
usually there's some time in there for me to do my own work. Wasn't much this week, <laughs> last week. So um, this week was about kind of getting back on the horse. Um, and so now here we are. That brings us to where we are with this show. Um, and so I just would like to, uh, first of all, again, say thanks to all of you for so I get, uh, you know, a few of you say, where's, when's the next show? When's the next show? <laughs> Thank you for that. Appreciate that. I love that you all look forward to that. And I'm sorry I haven't been able to, to do the weekly thing here of late. But I promise you that uh, with Lord's will here um, the next couple of weeks, a um, few weeks we'll have a, a really cool announcement. I can tell you what, what, I, what I'm trying to do and then um, what that's going to do for all of my shows um, and, you know, and a lot more as well. Um, th- this is a project that's intended to really showcase short track racing, um, grassroots racing, mid-level racing, and a, diff- a variety of different styles of racing as well in a way that it currently isn't. So, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at doing something that doesn't quite exist the way that we're trying to do it in the sport and i've got a really really strong team behind me in this effort that are really motivated to to make this work and so um look forward to all that also the other thing i'm kind of struggling with here is again it's um you know a couple of weeks before christmas and um this year adds a lot of complication for me to try to get up there i i have been very blessed that um Every year that I've been away from Oswego, uh, I've always been able to, no matter where I've been living or working or what I've been doing, I've always been able to get home for a couple of weeks at uh, Christmas time to see family and friends and just kind of have a break a uh, little bit, even though I do work over that time as well. But I, you know, I try to, the last couple of years especially, I've really, you know, kind of tried to make it more about taking a break than, than working. But, um, this year, not so sure yet. Um, what's going on, obviously, again, COVID uh, has really complicated the process. And then um, the way that um, New York State is is dealing with that, um, you know, my mother's had kind of a rough year. She's been healthy her entire life, really, up until this year. And she's kind of had, um, had a bit of a rough year this year. And, um, you know, maybe I'll be able to or feel like talking about that in more detail in a future show, but um not sure about, you know, I've always been able to, to stay with her and she's always enjoyed that. And this year, not sure about that. Not sure. Yeah. I just, it's, it's just a different situation now. So I'm hoping to be able to get home for a few days or a week. Um And so a lot been going on, a lot been weighing on my mind and a lot of things have been happening. So um we're going to do, we're going to, we're not this show's not going away nothing like that um and we're gonna try to get back to at least every couple of weeks here um going forward and uh hopefully we'll be able to have um a way of elevating the visibility of this show um and you know all of the the folks that are on this show um that will be so big that it could actually have an impact on the the drivers, especially the current drivers, the ability for them to be able to say, 
you know, hey, I did this show and here's the audience numbers and here's, you know, here's where it is um, that will help maybe to, you know, affect the sponsorship side of things for some of the guys, which is which would be great because, you know, we all need that. So, um, you know, love to love to be able to, again, just get more attention on uh, Oswego Speedway and Supermodified Racing, which is what we're trying to do. And, of course, what I'm working on will benefit everything I do, not just this show. Um, so with that, I've I've uh, bored you for almost half an hour here. Thank you for putting up with that. Um, but uh, I, uh, I just wanted all of you to kind of have at least a little bit of an idea of what's kind of going on in my world here um, and why we haven't been as uh, reliable lately with the, this show as – um, as we have been in the past, uh, we're working on getting back to it, but sometimes you got to kind of, um, you know, in, in a sense, I'm, I'm trying to renovate the house a little bit and, uh, trying to get us into a much bigger house, uh, in terms of visibility and, and kind of the way that, that this gets distributed and all that. So, um, again, that's where we are. Uh, this is episode 65. When we come back. We're going to hear from Jim Ferlito, and uh, we're going to remember the Flintstone Flyer, driver of the Zero Todd Gibson, and I'll be back after that with the closing segment and a few of my thoughts about Todd, and uh, we'll have a little fun with the 65, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up and plan to kind of, like I said, we'll get back to the classic uh, uh, rewind on our next broadcast. So... Back with more of Inside Groove 65 right after this. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove. Okay, uh, we have got Jim Ferlito on the hotline with us, and uh, always a pleasure to talk to Jimmy, uh, one of the, uh, to me, the the founding ambassadors for Supermodified Racing as far as, uh, you know, being a host and being a, a so much a connector and a part of it, and, and uh, uh, over the years, so many um, legendary uh, good times at uh, the Felita residence, and uh, now, of course, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jim and I are both down here in North Carolina, a couple of hours apart, and uh, always happy for the opportunity to. It's funny that uh, we we spend more time talking on the phone than we do in person, uh, but uh, that's just the way life is these days. That's just how it exactly. is. Yeah. yeah. So, um, welcome back, Jimmy, and uh, want to talk Thank you for the. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. I don't know if I deserve it, but I, I do appreciate it. Oh, trust it. me. You deserve that Get more. Get on and all. Yeah, that. that's... Uh, I, there I were know. a lot of people that did a lot. I was one of many that uh, 
it did a lot, especially in the Oswego area, you know, uh, helping all the competitors out. So, yeah. Uh, well, uh, obviously, uh, the subject at hand, uh, Todd Gibson, uh, legendary super modified competitor, IndyCar competitor, uh, for a couple of years, uh, passed away this week. And, you know, we just wanted to kind of spend some time looking back. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, who better to, uh, to, to look back with than, than Jimmy, because you guys are very close and I want to go back. Uh, if you can kind of take us all the way back to the beginning, um, was it Todd coming to Oswego that got you two together or did you, had you met him before? Talk a little bit about how that all mm, kind of started. Yeah, it actually started Todd racing at Oswego and, uh, we used to live on route 104. Yeah. Uh, just coming into Oswego, we were about maybe six, seven miles from the track, but so many race cars and teams came driving by our place. And my parents uh, also loved the racing. My father went to school with the Crusoes, went to Harry and oh, George and Bill and all. So my father was good friends with the Crusoes. And so, uh, like anything, when we were kids, you know, uh, Saturday nights, we go watch our heroes race. And then when the races were done, we would go in for autographs and hope that we could talk to the drivers. And that's how it started with Todd. And of course, Brenda, Brenda was always a part of it. Um, I would go in there and I just told him, I said, you know, you can buy my house every, every time you come into a swiggle. If you ever, you know, want to stop, we got plenty of space. We got a lot of nice shade trees. If you want to hang out here and you're more than welcome to join us. We also have, you know, a complete facility with welders and lifts and all different kinds of things. We could, you know, do anything, you know, need done on your car. We could sure. get done because we have a lot of stuff here. So that's how it all started. But then that was in 67, 68. And then he started in 69 and he went off to USAC and Indy cars. And so we kept in touch, but it wasn't really until 71 when he came back to Sugar the when they started hanging out at our place and all. Okay. Just as a way for the kids to be, you know, to be off in a safe place and and uh, use the facilities when they had to. And it just worked out great. They got along great with all my family and we got along great with all their family and and go from there. So it was, it's was it been a wonderful relationship. And then, of course, the Macrits were around a lot of it. You know, I was going to so say. That's how the, the Macrith uh, Gibson Felito families became very, very strong, and we still are to this day, you know, along with so, so many others, Tommy. But yeah. that's how it all started, really. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I, again, I, I started going in 73. I remember growing up, and, and uh, it, it seemed as though um, having a Gibson chassis was such a big deal back then, and Todd was such a prominent builder as well as a driver. And, of course, you know, we know... You know, incredible. And and yeah. so at, now as I get older, and even at this moment, I'm realizing, well, you know, this is why, you know, Macrath had Todd work on a car. This one had to, because all all of those guys kind of connected, and and some of it probably was through the commonality of spending time at your place. Yeah, a lot of it was because that Todd and Norm were already good friends before all this came about. That okay, together. and. If anybody knew Todd Gibson, not that he was antisocial, he wasn't the, he didn't, he, it's not that he didn't try to socialize, it's just he came to the racetrack, his purpose was to take as much money out of there as possible. Sure. Because this was part of feeding his family. A lot of people just don't realize that. 
but that's the truth. Um, he he wished he could socialize, but a lot of people forget back in, in the 70s there, they were, well, 60s and 70s, they were racing, Todd was racing three, four, and some three, four nights minimum a week. Sure. So a swiggle was the furthest away. They had to get back to work on the car and then go to Sandusky, you know, or, yeah, because you know, then Wednesday came quick when they go ran at Anderson, Indiana, you know, and uh, he won almost, I think, I think he won every race at Anderson on Wednesday night. Wow. Which is near, not too far from Indianapolis. That's yeah. where they run the little 500. Yes. No, it and, will. Uh, but anyway, um, he, it was all business to him. It really was. Um, uh, it was his his way to help put food on the table for his family, and quite honestly, he did very well at that. In fact, in 68, when he won so many features, that gave him enough money that he built an all-new, brand-new house with the, with the winnings. Oh, wow. You know, after everything, he built a brand-new house there in Richwood. Um not a small one either. It was pretty big. <laughs> well, so, so he's always worked hard, you know, for that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I know that uh, obviously one of the things that it's funny because, of course, again, starting with me starting in 73, Todd had the the rear engine car by then. And, right. and, and he had yeah. kind of gone looking back. It seemed like for the couple of years previous, he had tied in with uh, Tony Lavati and, and, you know, Bill Height was building some cars. And he kind of had, I think, gotten, I don't want to say into a rear engine corner, but it, it became sort of the thing for him for a little while there to have that mm-hmm. and try to make that work. And it seems like his rear engine cars worked very well on the smaller tracks, not necessarily as well at Oswego for whatever no, reason. But Oswego, it was interesting. He, that It seemed like he was having engine problems yeah. a lot at Oswego. I don't know if that if it was just the small block that was in there, but but you got to remember he would travel around and got to know Bill Height very well, yeah. and so they would talk and and exchange things, you know, uh, ideas and all. And a lot in the Midwest, there was a lot more mid-engine and rear-engine cars mm-hmm. running before yep. they actually got to Oswego. So that group sort of had a jump on it, you know. Um, yeah. Of course, Freddie Graves made it look real good at Oswego there. You know, he did fantastic. He did with a four-wheel, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that was interesting, and and uh, Todd and Freddie actually uh, got to be really good friends, and and I know well, that... well, Todd actually, what a lot of people did not know is, is that like when Todd was running the Indy cars, I know I'm sort of jumping ahead here a little bit. No, that's fine. Uh, Todd was good friends with Ronnie and Freddie Graves, and on the East Coast, because there's not that many Indy car races on the East Coast, but we would run Pocono. Trenton, uh, Freddie and Ronnie were on the crew. Oh, wow. I did not know that. They, they worked on the crew, and uh, I was there working as the PR person. And uh, let's see, I think there was a couple of, I'm going to probably forget names. When he went out west to race, like, say, at Phoenix and California and some of the tracks out there, he'd get uh, his good friend Earl Kelly that used to race okay. supers. And there was another guy, I just can't think of the name right now. They would come and help Todd crew there because they just did not have enough money to hire somebody full time. Wow! Crew. Yeah, and he, of course, uh, the 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 backstory there, Todd, uh, when Gary Albritton went Indy with uh, Dick Routh, uh mm-hmm. and, and his team, eventually uh, Todd was involved as what was it, crew chief or just a part of the crew? 
Sort of uh, the crew chief, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, and he went. they went to uh, orientation. Like all the rookies have to go to orientation like the beginning of the month yeah. or a week before they get started. And uh, Todd was there with him. And then, unfortunately, things sort of went downhill after that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, so Gary ended up out of the ride and Todd ended up in it. And spent, in the ride, yes. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. a couple of years uh, running Indy. And talk a little bit about what that was like, because obviously, first of all, for you, um, you know, a, a, a young man from, from Oswego, New York, who, you know, obviously grew up watching the Supers and probably idolizing Indy and, and all of that. Now you get to go and be a part of this thing with your buddy Todd, Again, a driver from Supermodifieds who, you know, is is now getting the ultimate shot, right, to, to run IndyCar. What was that like for you guys? Well, well, for me, it was very exciting because it was a new step. I was young, and this was uh, this was a great way to expand, you know, my experiences oh, in sure. racing. Yeah. It was open wheel, which I enjoyed. I love all racing, but I do particularly like open wheel. Me too, yep. Um, and... To be with someone that you know that was one of my heroes and and somebody that we knew so very well and yeah. actually were family as far as they're concerned and I'm concerned, um, it was great. He did phenomenal for what he had to work with. He I think his best finish was a second or third up to uh, Canada up to Most Sport on the okay. course up there. The Indy cars ran up there and Todd. Uh, run second or third. I, it's funny. I just can't remember things like I used to. Yeah. But he had a lot of fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. These were. This was some of the heyday of IndyCar oh, racing sure. with the Unsers and Andretti and John Foyt Cox, and Foyt. all. And yeah, speaking of Foyt, I Steven. never was a fan of Foyt. I respected <laughs> him, but he wasn't my kind of guy. But You're not he, alone. Uh, but he was. He was a phenomenal. I mean, he's one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. And I often wondered when I got there and started learning stuff, A.J. Foyt would give Todd Gibson as much time as he wanted through the day. Todd and him talked a lot. And a lot of times, I remember we were at Ontario, California. That track is no longer. Yeah. And it was a big race on, on Labor Day weekend. And it paid a lot of money and just to, just to finish, just to get into the race. And Todd had to fight to get into the race. Sure. And... uh they lost a motor, and they had to. Get, they got another motor, and they changed the motor in record time. Oh wow! Truly, for that time, it was record time. And Foyt actually came over to help the Gibsons get that motor in. See, I wonder if there was some kinship between AJ and Todd because I feel like similar uh, sort of mentalities. Again, AJ worked his butt off for everything he got, you know, and and I think AJ always appreciated the super modifieds too. I remember John McLaren lived next door or nearby and AJ helped John with his rear engine car, which was a height car, the the Mm -hmm. green 13 back in the seventies for those wondering. Um, And uh, John was, came up to us. We go, he never ran very well there, but again, Mm -hmm. had some great runs other places, but I feel like, you know, AJ and Todd, I I I could see from the the sort of mental approach and in the way that they exactly. went about it. Yeah. Well, I think Foyt could probably see in Todd some of himself. Right. A man that did a lot of work himself, worked hard, and could see his family because, again, um, they they just couldn't hire out full time people. So they, right. you know, uh, Gene Lee and the the boys, the whole family. Got got to work. Brenda did her part. 
you know, they all had to do it sure. because they just could not afford to hire people. And I think Foyt looked at that and saw that. But I was amazed at how how much A.J. Foyt really hung out with Todd. They they got along great. And I guess I, to me that's saying a lot because Foyt, I think he would help anybody, but you have to come ask him. Yeah. And, or, you know, and he's not going to do something, you know, voluntarily, right. but that's the way a lot of drivers are, you know, so. Well, I think back then too, and even with Bentley, I mean, I know AJ had great admiration, has great admiration for Bentley and I'm sure vice versa. And, and those they two, do. Yes. same kind of deal. It was a low buck deal that Bentley had and they're trying to scratch and claw. And, you know, I think AJ, uh, AJ helped Bentley a lot too and respected you know, and uh, it's funny to go back and, you know, sometimes you you kind of get these sorts of stories, um, whether it's mm-hmm. IndyCar, NASCAR or whatever. You know, the bond between the drivers back then, I think, was almost different than it, it, it even in a lot of ways than it is now, because it seems like now, because everything's so expensive and whatever, it's so much more businesslike and there just isn't mm-hmm. the the camaraderie back then. Um, you know, everybody realized that you know, look, everybody's trying, and and I think the more successful guys were were quicker to help the the low buck guys than mm-hmm. maybe they are now in some ways. And and too, Tom, they uh, Todd and, and raced, you know, the the sprints and the midgets back then too. You know, yeah. and he, him yep. and AJ AJ ran sprints and midgets. That's true. And, yep. You know, so he got to know, like you know, like got to know. It was a it was a it was a a tight group. You know, that uh, traveled and. And all, and you know, back then it wasn't as uh, glamorous as it is today. Running some of these, some of these racing organizations, it was really pretty primitive back then. I remember the first time I saw Todd race without a roll cage, and that just about blew my mind. And all, cause <laughs> I, I like those roll cages, you know. Oh yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. There were some real men back then. <laughs> but you know, it's uh, yeah. That's why a lot of them came up with you know the bolt on or you know. Uh, uh, roll cages, yeah. like, you know, the Nulls boys and all, because they would run, you know, races like, you know, uh, I think it was called the IMCA races, the up at St. Paul that ran seven or nine nine nights in a row. And yeah. I think Todd won many of those. And, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, it's something else. It was, it was tough. You know, they, they were getting money, not like they're getting today, but they were getting money, I guess, for the time was, was uh, respectable and all, but uh uh, it's tough. It's tough for me. It was a learning experience. It was a learning experience, and um, I have a lot of stories, but I won't bore you with them right now and all. But well, uh, we just a lot of stories. things that I never forgot. Things that I saw back then. Um, I really I enjoyed it because we were part of a team that was outperforming what they were expected to do. Yeah, and I think I got them a lot of publicity back then. I wish I wish we had all the means today. To work oh, I with, know. yeah, that uh, you know that that they have today that we didn't have back in the seventies, you know, and also, but anyway, um, Todd Todd did a fantastic job. He really did. He was a hard worker, and and worked very very hard. And he drove very smart too. He had to. He had to try to bring the car home in one piece. Yeah, yeah, and that changes the way that you race. And I and 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 it. I think at times it takes a little bit of the aggression away that that may you know have have put you in a position to win but you may have had to take some greater risks and mm-hmm. you just kind of wonder what would have been had he been in a situation with 
you know, an established team that where, you know, budget wasn't a consideration. You had all the, right. you know, the resources right. and whatever, you know, what, what might've been for him, uh, you know, in IndyCar had that been the case. And, and of course, you, you know, you say the same for Bentley, but you know, those guys back then, I mean, you know, they were, they were working really hard to try and do it themselves. Yeah. And it, and even that, even at that point in time, it had graduated to where that was almost uh, an impossibility to go compete well, for Bentley, wins on your own. Bentley worked very hard. He he didn't have a a golden ticket. He no. had a good ride. Yep. He had a real good ride, but it wasn't you know flowing with endless money and all. Right. And you know until he maybe a little bit later in the years there, but uh, he uh, he certainly you know didn't have everything first class handed to him. That's right. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, those, and the same with Todd, you know. Exactly. So those guys earned everything they got back then because ex- they worked exactly, for it. Exactly, you know, was they earned everything they got. You know. But I know with Todd, I can say that man, just about every every week he brought it home. I only worked like a year and a half, two years, because then we, I was at a crossroads in my life as to what to do and yep. with our family business and different things. But um, I know that. Uh, you know, Todd kept bringing it home, and he was very respected. He really was. He was very much respected uh, amongst the IndyCar group. I don't think he wasn't really buddy-buddy with a lot of them. He was good friends with a lot of them and still remained good friends for years. But, uh, you know, Todd uh, Todd is Todd, and uh, he only – he, he's not the most sociable people. Right. He's, a very, he's a very quiet person. People just don't yeah. realize that. But uh, – I know with Oswego, sometimes people say, geez, I wish he would at least smile now and then. Well, he's at work. Yeah, he was thinking. <laughs> His game face on all the time, it seems like. Yeah, he, he's you at know. work. And yeah. uh, he told me once, he said, you know, Terry needs a new bike. And he says, if I do good this weekend, Terry will get a new bike. If I don't do good, Terry's going to have to wait a few weeks to get a new bike. Yeah. You know, that's just how it is because they got to put food on the table first. I mean, luckily... He survived those years quite well. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's it's funny because he did have kind of a second, uh, you know, a, a second uh, chapter in Supermodifieds. Uh, you know, after his IndyCar uh, racing was over, he came back and and mm-hmm. you know ran still for a number of years and and um, still had you know v- pretty good success in those years. And, yes. yes. You know, he right did. up until the the mid eighties. Uh, you know, eighty seven, I think. Uh, you know, 88, I don't remember how long he kept racing. You may remember better than I do, but it seems like that was kind of remember, the time he started to I remember slow down he was still little. racing in 88 and I think yeah. into 89. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, my memory's not what it used to be. Um, but I, I know that he ran 88 for sure, and I'm positive there was a little bit in 89 as well. Maybe, so. yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, the Gibson family has been, again, another one of those generational families when it comes to super modifieds. And, you know, Gene Lee, um, you know, has tried so many kind of unique things and, and, and uh, the ideas and, and the cars that he's put together and all of that uh um, it's, it's been, it's been a joy for me to kind of watch that all. And Larry ran mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I think they, most all of them ran a, a while, uh, you know, but, but Todd really, I feel like had such an impact. Uh, it was maybe for a, a fairly short time, but boy, he was in, in the, you know, in the sixties and into the early seventies, he was a monster in super modified racing and, um, Again, maybe didn't have the long-term success at Oswego just because of the cars he was driving, but 
uh, my gosh, I mean, you 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 look at Sandusky in the in, in the Midwest and in Michigan and Indiana, those places. Mm-hmm. He was just awesome. He he won a lot of races. Yeah. He really did. Yeah, won a lot of races and was competitive. Always competitive. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he was uh, he was quite a talent, quite a builder, innovator, fabricator. He did everything. He did everything. Yeah. I think probably the biggest thing that a lot of people remember, because a lot of people have been talking here the last few days. Yeah. Uh, the jack, you know, the to see the weight on each corner of your car. Todd hardly ever used one. He just picked it up. Oh wow! I didn't know he that. Would just, he would just. He was very. He was massively strong. And he would just go to the right front corner and pick it up. He very seldom used a, a what do they call it, a jack check or whatever, a weight check, whatever they call the dang thing. I can't remember. Yeah. But uh, I remember people still laughing about it. Like, that was his way of, he just had a way of figuring it out that way. Interesting. You know, so, but. Um, yeah, he was definitely, a, a, and and he, he was always, it seemed like he was always willing to help people. He was one of those yes. drivers that it seemed like a lot of people called for advice or setup or yes. whatever, and you know, and of course built yeah. a bunch of cars and all that for others. But yeah. he he would never stick his business into somebody else's business. But if somebody came over and asked him if he could come over and just help him with something, he he did. If yeah. he could, if he had time to do it, he would definitely do it. I I remember one time that it was something. Him and Doug Sires were. I don't know if, if Todd needed help or Doug needed help, but they end up helping each other and they became the best. They became great friends after that. Yeah. I remember at one point that uh, reading in a program that Todd was going to build Doug a car. And then I think somehow Doug ended up buying Kemp dates. I think it was around 75 and ended up buying Kemp dates car. Um, so, right. but, mm-hmm. but again, understanding what you just said, um, not surprising that that would have been a discussion. And, um, you know, it, uh, Todd, I, I would imagine probably at that time, Todd might have been busy enough with the IndyCar stuff where maybe... I, I was just going to say yeah. that. You're absolutely right, yeah. because Norm wanted him to build... Uh, when Norm left uh, Bali, Bali, he wanted yeah. to... Norm called him and said, will you build me a new car? I want one of your cars. And Todd was busy with the IndyCars and yeah. busy with stuff, so that's when they came up with the, the car down the Helinski car that was down in Texas that Butch Harris was driving. Okay. Or they only ran it a few times, and then the super modified, uh, I don't know, super modified is just sort of slowly sort of diminished down there. It wasn't as strong as they were hoping it to be. Oh, okay. But, uh, and that, that car became available, and Todd said, hey, I know that car hasn't been wrecked. It's a good car. I know the people. So that's how Todd went down there and got it and then re- renovated it for Norm. But Norm really wanted a, a Gibson car. That's what he wanted. Okay. But, uh, anyway, it worked out all right. Norm just wanted to finish out the, the couple years there and just have some fun and all. So, which he did, and uh, yeah. it was you know Brian and Andy eventually got opportunities to race, and um, yeah. you know just again you know the part of the uh, I there there are families upon which I feel like Oswego was built. They're like pillars, you know the Joyas, mm-hmm. the Bellingers, the Macris, the Gibsons, you know those 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 types of families, and and of course you know then uh, eventually the Muldoons, and you know but yeah, but, but yeah. I feel like in the in the sixties and seventies you had you know the and. Um, just, uh, uh, you know, for, for us, I mean, I, I, speaking for myself and I'm sure you'll agree, um, you know, the, what we were blessed to be able to grow up 
watching and in your case really being a part of much younger than I was as far as the inner uh, side of that with with having people at your house and things um it i mean you, we'll we'll never see that sort of thing again uh in the sport unfortunately i don't think and it's not to say that it's not still great and that people aren't still close and families don't still but you just it there's something about that time um, that I don't think can be duplicated. And when you think about drivers like Todd Gibson and you, and, and, you know, you, you remember them going forward, those are the times that you're going to remember. And it's, it's uh, honestly, it's, it's pretty amazing when you think about it, what we all got a chance to see and be a part of back then. Yeah. A swiggo was a nice melting pot. When you look back. Yeah, it really was. The people that came in from so many areas, yeah. I know. I think I grew up at the right time. In fact, I think I, I wish I had maybe been even a little bit older to to get the full meaning of some of these guys that were coming from the Midwest yeah. in 62 and 63, although I got to become good friends with many of them. But it's uh, it's it was such a, a great, great place to uh, get to, you know. I would get speed sport news. I guess I was a, a – I remember talking to Chris Economaki a few years after that, and I said, Chris, I started getting your magazine when I was your newspaper when I was nine years old, <laughs> and all, and I said I'd be reading about these people all over the country, yeah, and all, and and uh, and and Chris said, I, I, he says he, he didn't know. He says you might probably might be the the youngest one to ever just describe. And I said, well, <laughs> I, I picked up a copy at a Swiggle Speedway back in the late fifties, early sixties. My parents did, and. And I just had to have a copy because I'm reading about all these people yeah. all over the country. Yeah, you know that are racing, you know, and it's uh, it was so great. But Oswego did bring together a lot of people. It was wonderful. I know for me, it gave me. Uh, I keep saying it was a uh, just a, a bunch of endless priceless friendships that have endured throughout the years and all so well you were uh you're you and your family were part of the glue that made that i mean when did when did you start hosting people at the house was it in the early 70s when that happened? actually it was it was the early 70s yeah okay. um I, I don't know norman norman them maybe came out in the late 60s and all like on a sunday just to relax and all or something but i know it was like in the 70s when we started having people stop okay and, we loved it. My parents, again, see, people thought it was me, but my parents were big race fans. My parents used to go to the races every week. They took me to the races when I was three years old. That's you know, awesome. and you know, it was it's something that my parents love right from the start and all. So And you just kinda um, kept it up. I remember, you know, uh Chet Phillip, I think, right? You oh yeah, Chet, Chet Phillip. Oh. Well, I had met Chet Phillip in seventy eight down at the uh uh, they used to call it, there used to be a big, uh, in Daytona Beach, there used to be the big um, trade show okay. at the convention center. And we used to, we used to meet there. And, and so I, I was walking by and they had his hike car was, was on display there. I was work I was actually working with show car. I oh. was down there with Howard Nida. Oh, no kidding. And, and, and he came over and, and he was standing there. He was very personable. He was talking to Howard and, and Ida and myself and, I kept looking at his his name tag, Chet Philip, so I <laughs> Chet Philip. Hey, I now I they were talking, and I interrupt. I said, "Are you the guy that won all those races in Michigan and set fast time?" He said, "Well, yeah." And I said, "Well, don't you dare leave without talking to me." So, yeah. he, so he had his car on display, and we became obviously great friends. And to this day, we still stay stay 
you know, connected with everything and, yeah. and talk and visit and all. So, um, yeah, I just think. But about he was some... another one. Yeah, he came and stayed with me for about, I think, two three months and all. So yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. Well, that would have been price what seventy nine when he ran the rear seventy nine when yeah. Chip came up. Yeah. yeah. Now and he actually, what a lot of people don't know, and this might be even a first to get out. We were working on his sponsor, uh, Circle Bar. We're working on, he came up, let's see, I had, I was racing my dirt car in 81. And he came up and he says, Circle Bar will give us this much money and we'll put together a race car for Oswego. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, you're coming back. Good. I said, well, I, I have a dirt car commitment made that I want to keep. He says, no, he says, I just want to know, do we, can we still work out of your garage? Well, Roger Phelps drove for me back then and he kept the race car in his garage. So that was going to be no problem, you know? Okay. So, so I figured, you know, we'll go dirt racing on Friday and Sunday and Saturday we'll just go to Oswego and all. So that'd be no problem. And, and Chet and his wife at that time, they were, uh, they were welcome to, at, at our place at any time. And so, sure. but then he went back to talk to, Circle Bar again, Tom, and Tom says, uh, we're going to go IndyCar racing. Tell Jim he's going to come with us, go IndyCar racing with us. So that all changed. We might have had a car back then, too. So Wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So did you end up being a part of that IndyCar effort? Because I remember oh, yeah. him doing that. Okay. Oh, yeah. I went I went with them as their, Indy, as their PR person as well. <laughs> okay. I didn't that realize that. That was in 82 and 83. And uh, 82, of course, he, he made the 500 both years, but uh, just never was able to put it all together. He had he had some good runs, but just never could get it all together. Well, and he, I think, do I remember him having like a stock block program? Like, did, was, did, do I remember him being kind of lacking the, the big horsepower or whatever? Or am I confused? Uh Tommy, I'd, I'd be guessing. I hate to, I hate to say something without not okay. knowing it. Okay. But I know eventually Tom Mitchell, that owned Circle Bar down there, that it was the money behind Chet. Yeah. He was a big Ford man, huge Ford. Okay. Then they went to NASCAR, and Chet had a few good runs in NASCAR. He did. Yeah, I remember. And all. Um, again, it never all sort of came together where they could really break out and say, "Hey, they're every week, you know, big, you know." going to be good top competitors he did the best he could and you know never could consistently stay in the top 10 you know yeah. so and that that gets tough after a while so but boy did he has he had a an amazing open wheel career with uh oh, yeah, sprints he's, and he's, all of that great like, yeah yeah he's uh he, he he can still get get around i understand that he still got the height car too uh in his shop uh, that he drove back in '79. I, my yeah, was, I, I believe it's still there. I haven't I haven't even asked them about it, but I think they still have that. Yeah, car. yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, and again, those uh, you know those were fun years because Bill his his uh, cars didn't always work the way he wished they would, but boy, he built some really interesting creations. That was a that was a well, fun time. Chet ran that in '79 at Oswego, and then in 1980 is when they banned the rear engine car. Yeah, after '79, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think if if they could have just made a few adjustments on that car, uh, there was some problems. Howard Conkey helped immensely to get that car working a little bit better. Oh wow! And I think that uh, I think if they could have come back and run, 
of course, that was very controversial back at that time. But I guess, you know, as you look back, it probably was the best thing the studio could do. So, yeah, well, was I mean, to ban them, you know, because there wasn't just that many people that had that my, that kind of uh, experience running those cars. And they were a totally different car. So, yeah, you know, I know going back to Todd Gibson, he told me that once he ran a rear engine car, he never wanted to run a roadster again. Really? Yeah, he he hated running the roadsters. He loved running that rear engine car. Interesting, and and, mm-hmm. and again, he you know he had great success other places, but never really had a lot of success in a swiggle with the car because it seemed so fragile. And and like you said, I think he had um, you know motor issues. In fact, I remember, gosh, seventy five, maybe the year that he he had qualified his rear engine car, I think third or something, and and withdrew it to get into Freddie Graves' Roadster and drove that, qualified that seventh or eighth, and um, sadly ended up being like one of the first cars out of the race. But um, you know, interesting kind of the decision making back then. Um, but you know, it it sounds like maybe the rear engine cars were just more fun to drive too. Well, I I with Todd, I would think probably. He'd have to go where he he probably figured he could make more money. Yeah, <laughs> knowing old Todd yeah. like well, I do. Yeah, sure. But uh, but no, he I know he he just loved their engine cars. He really did. He he didn't like going back to a roadster type car. But then he you know he had to. So yeah, yeah. If he wanted to keep racing in sure. this part of the country, you know, um, Todd traveled a lot of places. Like he raced California, and won a lot of races in California really? with the Supers. Um. He he went to Florida, won a few down in Florida. You know when uh, New England Super Modified Nesmer was running, sanctioned down there back in the early seventies. Yep. Um, because I caught most of those shows. Um, that was another good. That was like another great thing, like the Ohio State Five Hundred that Todd oh, yeah. you know, used to run. You know, in in the summer. Um, again, it was getting together all the best drivers around yeah. the country. It was wonderful. You know, so. Yeah, those were fun times, and and uh, Todd certainly was a very uh, big part of the racing uh, at Oswego and in Super Modifieds for you know uh, about two decades uh, on and off. Of course, he had the IndyCar and midget stints and all of that sprint car. Yeah. But um, you know, certainly he, he confided in me. They, him and Gene Lee sometimes would come down and visit me here in Carolina. Oh. Gene Lee uh, was was moving. Uh, uh, motor homes, campers, pull along trailers around part of his work. Okay. And so he, he was delivering to a, a, a place not too far from here, an RV place. Okay. He would deliver motor homes. So him and Todd would stay here for a day or two. And, and, uh, he confided in me one night that, uh, when he looks back at it, you know, everything looks, you know, alluring when it's, you know, you, you've won, won a lot and you've got a hot sure. name and stuff like that. But if he would have stayed racing supers, Back in '69, if he never would have gone USAC and all, he would have made a whole lot more money and probably been a whole lot happier. So interesting. You know. Well, and again, it's um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and and yeah. you know, I, I, even today, I mean, it's it's very true. People say, well, you know, it's if you don't have money, you can't get. Well, that's not true. You can. Talent still matters, but it, it it's a whole lot more work the higher you go because again, it is a business, and and you know you have things to do that maybe aren't necessarily fun for a driver to do that don't involve driving the car, and I think that's probably more prevalent today than ever. But even right. back then, I know that you know the appearances and and you know kind of um, sucking up the sponsors. You know, I mean it was just well, that kind of better. a deal, right? Yeah, I <laughs> you mean better. 
even back then, you know, Bentley yeah. told me that, you know, even back in the, in the 70s, it was starting to go that way. I think, you know, Roger Penske came in and really kind of changed the whole face of IndyCar in that respect, um, you know, because he, he had the type of operation that I think was was uh, at, at least in the moment for mm-hmm. a little while was, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I could see why Todd would 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 think that and say that and um you know again less pressure down there but of course if you're trying to put food on your table then you want to be winning every race you're you're, you're running right yeah well all the politics to go with it too yeah Sometimes the, yeah the politics was just ridiculous and all and i and i was there i experienced the janet guthrie arrival who i thought this is only good for racing oh yeah but, I'm, a, I'm a huge most fan. of the guys yes. in the pits including my buddy weren't crazy about that because she was getting so much attention, but you know, but it's, it's going to bring more fans more into fans. the sport that's right? and all that. I mean, they, they can look at it their way um, and that's fine. But, uh, well, I think there's, you know, I, I guess for me, there's, there's opposite sides. So somebody like Janet Guthrie, for me, she came in and she wasn't trying to be, you know, a, a a woman who was trying to drive a race car. She was trying to be a race car driver, and she was yeah. rough and tumble. She, you know, she didn't, you know, it wasn't about being gorgeous and, and mm-hmm. magazine poses and whatever else. She yeah. she was there to drive a car, and, and, and you could, t- I watched her on Pocono in the cup car in 77. She finished eighth. I think seventh or eighth, and I mean, my gosh, it, it was like, holy cow! Look what this woman's doing, and and she was great. She, she was, and she still. I saw a special yeah. on her not long ago. She's like eighty years old, and you <laughs> you listen to her talk about those days, yeah. and you're like, she she was more male than some of the guys that were racing at that time. Yeah, I mean, that's she, just a, she was tough. She but was. You know what? She was still. She was. I got. I had the honor of speaking with her many times. She always gave me time, and I didn't want to take a lot, but I would just, how's it going today? How's, sure. how's the car? You know, you know the typical, you know, pit talk and all. And and uh, she was always very gracious, very kind, and always thanked me for coming by. Yeah. And all. And uh, and that's more than what a lot of the other male drivers can say. Well, that's, again, yeah. Look, it, at, I, I'm not out to, to do a, you know, to, 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 to see who's going to be the best, I'm I'm there to do my job right. too. Yeah. So, but I'm just saying, I know uh, Todd. You know, sometimes wasn't. Uh, I thought, uh, am I not allowed to speak to her? <laughs> and all, and I said because if that's the way it is, then you're. No, you can talk to her. I don't care what you do. And I said, you know, Todd, I'm just visiting with her. That's just all. Being nice. Exactly. Just like I visited with with uh, you know uh, Johnny Rutherford yeah. or, or uh, um, well. You know, okay. I, I yeah, there was a. I mean, let's face it. I mean, even when uh, you know when she came to NASCAR, they you know Richard Petty. There were some others that really weren't. You know, it was because you know you were kind of treading on you know male territory here. I think there was yeah, some exactly. of that, right? Oh, I and I know what it know. was. I wasn't stupid. I right. know what it was. <laughs> you know, but it's I, just you know. You're racing against her. I'm just working for you. Right. If you tell me I'm not supposed to talk to her. <laughs> Tell me now. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Because I, I'm, the, I'm a people person. I right. like to get to know people, you know, and, you know, like when I went to IndyCar racing, like, you know, Gordy Johncock was racing. So I would go talk to him because he, he knew about Oswego. Yeah. I would, I would send him stuff because his good friend, Minnie Knight there in Phoenix would say, Jimmy, bring this to Gordy. Would you give it to Gordy? <laughs> well, certainly I'll give it to Gordy, you know? And also, and we got to know, I mean, 
some of the nice, uh, some wonderful people I met in USAC. Sure. I met more wonderful people in Supermodifieds and, and even Dirt. But uh, but a lot of the, uh, it, it was, it's a tough circuit. I'm not putting anybody down. Well, it's just, back I really then it was even tougher. Meeting yeah. some people there, you know, were just like the Macarit family. They were just, just what a, a absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. You know Tommy Bigelow and and so there was some and they were just wonderful, wonderful people. They really thousands. Um, yeah, they were. They, and and again, you know the 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 generational that was that was a way of life. And and you're right, USAC was. And I mean, I think it still is. But but back then it was really rough and tumble. And and uh, you know those cars have not. Uh, they haven't evolved a lot since then, um, yeah. but I think that again, you see so much youth, and it's just a different mix of drivers now than what it used to be. Drivers back in those days were, you know, big, bulky. You know, they were they were real yeah. drivers, and uh, you yeah. you really not you know you really had to to work to fit in, I think, because a lot of them were racing for a living. And so, you know, they don't have time to be your best buddy because they're, you know, they're, they don't want to let you take money off their table. You know, exactly. That's oh, really exactly. what it was back then. Oh. But well, we, okay. uh, it, it was quite an experience for someone as myself to get out into the world. I mean, a swiggle was so wonderful. And I, yeah, there was a lot of things that you learned at a swiggle. There were a lot of things that that, you know, made you aware of things yeah. and how tough things were. But, boy, when I went there, boy, did I learn a lot. Oh, I, I bet. I learned a lot. I bet. You well, know, it was really something. But uh, I'm not saying that negative. I'm just no, saying no. I, I learned a lot for my age at that time and, and going out racing with the IndyCar gang. Um, it, there was, it's, it was a tough life. It had to be, yeah. you know. Yep. Unless, you know, you were, like, winning a lot and or something like that, then it was great, you know. But, sure. All these guys that were trying to keep their head above water, they worked very hard, you know. Yep, so for sure. Well, we and and especially in that circuit, you never knew if you were going to have your ride the next week or not if you didn't perform. Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's that, and and I know that's obviously still true today. I mean, contracts really don't mean too much if you're not performing. There's always yeah. uh, exit clauses and out clauses for contracts, but um, well, and I mean, especially like at the big pain races like Indy, like. With, not so much with Todd, but when yeah. I was helping Chet Phillip, Tom Mitchell, the owner at, at Circle Bar, he came to me and he says, why are all these drivers hanging around here? I said, you don't know why? They want Chet to fail. So right. you can put one of them. He yep. says, get rid of them all, Jim. Go out there and tell them they're, I'm not interested. Yep. I said, well, you know, you got to do it sort of diplomatic. You're very diplomatic. <laughs> Tim, do you, I said, Tom, do you want to do it? He says, no. Would you do it for, I said, I'll do anything you tell me. I'll go out there. And I mean, there were like four or five guys that kept coming by all the time, hoping that Chet, you know, wouldn't get up to speed, yeah. you know, and, and it's a tough business. Very, yep. very tough, you yep. know, so. But, That's for uh, sure. And they were good drivers. I mean, I knew each and every one of them. They were good drivers, you know, so. Well, and you can't blame them. They're, you know, they're trying to get yeah. an opportunity too. I mean, that's yeah, just I mean, what that, you do. This is, you know, hey, it's showtime. It's the yeah. month of May. You yep. know, if if this guy doesn't get up to speed, but I very nicely went out there and said, Mister Mitchell wants me to inform all of you. Thank you for coming by, but he is a hundred percent behind Chet Phillip, and he's not going to replace Chet as the driver. Right. And did so, they did they suddenly just stop? We very seldom <laughs> saw any of them anymore after yeah. that. You know. So. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you can't blame them. No. You cannot blame them. No. You know, they're all trying to, like everybody, they're trying to 
make make a name for themselves well, that's right. in the sport. Yeah. So. That's that's what their job is in that moment. Yeah. If they don't have a ride, their job is to find one because they want to. And, and Tommy, know. they were some good drivers. I'm going to tell you, some of them were, were good drivers. They yeah. were just a little bit maybe down on their luck. But anyway. But, uh, and that happens. So every year at Indy, you see that, you know, rotation. You used to see drivers just out of it. And you're like, wow, how come he's not? Well, you know, there's not enough rides for everybody <laughs> just mm-hmm. so you're you see right. those last minute or you get the yeah. you know Foyt throws a fourth car out there or whatever that was kind of how it was back yeah. then so yeah but uh well actually the year the year chet phillip was there was it was very you had to race into it there was I a bet. lot of cars that were not going to get in yeah and all so but then the, the numbers went down eventually as the years went on you yeah. know so no, costs went up and yeah, yeah. it just uh it, it it kind of and now we're thankful when we get just a few extra cars so we can have a bump day i mean back then bump day was 10 or 15 well, cars at times you know look at the cars you get for a circle classic yeah look at the, yep. what, what what we used to go through years ago and now yeah and again i'm not making fun of it this is not my purpose i'm just saying it's just the way well, it's, it's just today. how it is yeah it's, that's it's where tough we are today yeah doing anything but i remember when I when my car went to Syracuse to, to Dirt Week, there was like a hundred some odd modifieds, dirt modifieds. Now yeah. they get what seventy or eighty or something like that, which is still a hell it's of a number. Still a big yeah, yeah. That's still a lot of cars. But you're right. I mean, it's just uh, and that's one thing. I mean, I guess we're way off topic here, but that's one thing I do like about it being at Oswego now is because the, the there are so many more cars with a legitimate shot to win. Um, the Super Dirt Week than than what there were when you were at the fairgrounds and 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 I don't think it's any less difficult to make the show. You still got to beat the other sixty nine cars or whatever to make the show. Sure. But you you know I just think uh, I think it makes for a better race. But yeah, I remember those days when you first got into the to the dirt cars with Roger and and of course you know back then too even the dirt circuit was 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 so much different and and um, yeah. you know it uh, again just. Uh, you know, very, very fortunate to have experienced uh, those those times firsthand. And, and and you, you know, you look at a driver like Todd Gibson and Todd was emblematic of the the workhorse mentality that you had to have to be successful because, yeah. you know, you couldn't mm-hmm. just go out and buy a winning car and start winning. You had to understand how to set them up and build yeah. them. And, you know, and boy, Todd was Todd was as good as anybody at all of that and better than most. I can vouch for that. He was a hard, hard worker. He worked so hard. I mean, a lot of times, especially on Classic Weekend, I mean, very seldom did you see him sitting underneath the the shade tree over there having a drink. He was in the garage just nonstop working and all. I would, Brendan and I would try to get him some food and he might maybe take a minute to eat a sandwich and that'd be about it. And until the work was done on the car, he wasn't happy. So. Yeah. Well, that was his life. Like most racers, you know, yeah. so. Well, yeah. And he knew again, it was going to be a tough field and, and you had to be on your game. And, um, yeah. you know, sadly the classic never did treat Todd very well, but, uh, you know, but he, nobody gave more effort than, than Todd. And, and, uh, <laughs> you should, you should. Too bad you didn't get him and Warren Conium sit together about the '71 Classic. Who won it? We, I, I've heard. I've heard about a thousand different versions of it. Each one making Conium and Gibson look good. Okay. Yeah. So, well, it's, but, uh, it's funny uh, we, because we would get them together sometimes at my house or somewhere in Florida or something, and and they, my God, they would just talk about that race and. 
Well, when Warren uh, was on the show way back when, uh, one of our first shows we did, we brought him back. Warren mm-hmm. Warren yeah. alluded to that, you know. He said, and, and he didn't he didn't say it directly, which classic, but he made the comment something to the effect of, um, you know, I won two classics, I should have won one more, but <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, but, and of course, you know, I'm sure Todd thought he should have won. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. And, uh, well, they can talk about it all they want. Fifty took it. To I was events, just going right? to say, so. and then you know, then people go, "Well, wait a minute, what are they talking about?" And then it's like, yeah. "Well, come on now." Obviously, we know there was. I'm not saying who was right, and who was wrong. I have no idea. I wasn't even going then, but you know, obviously, there were people who thought there was a little bit of a scoring controversy going on right. there. You know, exactly. I, mean, I you yeah. know, and that's that's one of those. Um, days in Oswego Speedway history that will never be resolved. There will always be people on both sides of the issue, and that is what makes legend right there. Yeah, <laughs> That's right what there. makes legend. You know, they're, they're, they're we're still talking about, about it, about it 40 mean, years later. Yeah, about it, 50 so. years later, we're still talking about it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's fun stuff. But uh, thank you for taking some time. I know that uh, you've got to go to work soon, and um, and and we appreciate your time to, to talk to us about Todd and help us to remember Todd because – uh, you know, obviously you knew him far better than I did. And, and, uh, you know, I had the chance to talk to him a couple times in the pits, but that's, that's it. And, and Todd, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that we, we did this because he was, uh, again, when you, when you talk about builders, drivers, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Todd was right up there with anybody in, in, in super modified racing and, and achieve things in the sport that, you know, anyone only dreams of just being able to yeah, go to Indian he, race, let alone sustain it for a couple of years. Yeah, he you was, know, uh, so he he was extremely talented. He had he had to he yes because uh, a lot of times he had to learn how to do everything himself, and he did and all. But I know um, I know we have a lot of wonderful memories back at the farm, at the racetrack, here, there, wherever of of Todd and his family, and uh, we got that to lean back on and enjoy. And Absolutely. I know I spoke to the Gibson family this morning, and they wanted me to thank you for uh, having bringing me on to talk about Todd and Absolutely. his career and all. So, well, um, happy to do it, and uh, thankful to have been able to watch Todd race, and uh, and of course uh, the the kids since then, and uh, our deepest. Uh, prayers and condolences to the family and all the loved ones uh, of, of Todd Gibson. And uh, again, thanks for uh, taking some time with us, Jim. And uh, we'll you're very welcome, Tommy. Talking Anytime. to you again down it was the road. Always nice talking with you and all. And uh, I hope everybody in your family's doing well. Thank you so much. And uh, all Merry, right, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to Merry you. That's Christmas Jim Ferlito. And we'll Thank be you back. so much now. You have a wonderful day. You too. We'll be back with more Bye. of Inside Groove right after this. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove. Hope that you enjoyed that uh, time with Jim Ferlito and uh, the thoughts and reflections about uh, Todd Gibson. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it's always tough, uh, I think, for those of us who've 
been, who've grown up at the Oswego Speedway and who grew up there in in the 60s and 70s, um, you know, we're sort of the, uh, I guess you could say the oldest generation, right? I mean, Oswego started in the 50s, but um, it we, I think we've we've obviously kind of had the longest uh, time with the family, so to speak, and I think that's really what what it is. Um, the Oswego Speedway fraternity is a family, you know, and, and super modified racing is a family. You know, we, we may fight with each other and spat with each other over things or whatever, but at the end of the day, we're all family, right? And and so when when we lose someone like Todd, I mean, we understand, you know, we, we know that um, death is a part of life, unfortunately, but uh, it doesn't make it easier. And Todd was uh, going to be 83. Um, he he certainly made the most of his time, for sure, in my opinion. Um, you know, there was an old saying somewhere that I read. I think a poet, somebody wrote something to the... to. It, it, he was really talking about uh, the idea of sort of taking it easy and, and whatever. And, and um, you know, he, he said, I, I will not do that. I will use my time. Um you know, in other words, I'm going down in a blaze of glory. I'm going to do everything I want to do. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm going out kicking and screaming. And um, Todd, certainly what he accomplished in motorsports um, between super modifieds and USAC sprints and midgets and, and being able to go to Indy and run IndyCar, run USAC back when in that they sanctioned IndyCar races, um, to be able to run that circuit back then, um, really, uh, as a little guy, I mean, you know, they weren't the most well-funded team. A lot of it was, you know, volunteer and family oriented, as you heard Jim talk about. And, and, uh, so what, what Todd was able to do and the success that he was able to have was pretty amazing. And then again, came back and had another chapter in super modified racing and, and wins and great runs uh, and really enjoyed, I know, seeing uh, um, his sons compete and, uh, you know, his family compete in the supers. And um, so the Gibsons, uh, to me, are one of my one of the first families uh, of, of super modified racing. And um, again, to to learn about Todd, the man. Um, you know, I'm, I know that he was very proud of his family. Um, and again, just always worked hard. Everything he did, he poured a hundred percent of himself into. And what more can you say about a person than that? Um, so I remember Todd, I first remember Todd when I started going in 73, had that yellow, uh, rear engine car, the first, uh, Flintstone flyer zero rear engine that he had, I think. Um, and I remember then, uh, it became purple and, uh, it became the purple Flintstone flyer. And I always loved that car. I just always loved the color of that car. That was a beautiful car. Um, he didn't have necessarily the success with it that he probably wished that he would have at Oswego, but, um, I just love that he that he was doing that. I always thought that uh, even when I was little, I just always thought it was cool when somebody would bring something out that was different. You know, that's what made super modified racing to me. So the close 69, you know, Todd's engine car, the four wheel drive car, 
you know, the side engine cars, um, you know, th- those those things, even when, you know, a guy like Don Townsend would bring his sprint car, Bobby Seelman, to a swiggle to run. Tommy Rose, his yellow 99 car that he ran a little bit, um, forgot what year, 75, 76, whatever that was, 74, I think, actually, um, you know, ran a few times. Um, Rob McLeod had a sprinter. Uh, you know, again, we could go on, but the point is I just, I used to love kind of seeing the uniqueness, you know, the first time I saw what I realized later were, you know, Tipke, um, Sneva type engine cars from the, um, Pacific Northwest with Ed Crombie and Art Bullion, um, in, again, in the, in the seventies, that was just that golden era of, uniqueness and innovation and, and, uh, you know, people trying different things. And Todd was obviously at the forefront of that. And, um, again, I will always remember Todd for the accomplishments. Um, but more, I will remember the Gibson family. We'll always think of the Gibson family as again, one of the true, uh, first families of super modified racing, that that span generations you know the joyas the bellingers the muldoons the um the champagnes with with keith um now uh you know you you again the gibsons the shillicks um i mean we you know we could go on and there, and there are some even currently that um that are, we're now seeing new generations of the family come in um so again my my sincerest uh thoughts and and prayers and condolences to the Gibson family and to everyone who uh, knew and loved Todd. Um, we hope that this show will serve as just a tiny uh, remembrance of his life and his career. And again, a way for future generations to go back, hopefully, and um, learn about Todd and, and appreciate him in the same way that uh, we all did. Um, with that, uh, let me talk about uh, a little bit of a lighter subject for a minute. Uh, let's talk about the number 65, shall we? Um, we we do this every show with the episode number, and it's kind of fun. Uh, the 65 has an interesting history, at least um, that I can remember. At Oswego, if I remember correctly, and I know somebody, Larry Trinka or Robert or somebody's going to, if I'm wrong, they're going to correct me, and that's good. That's why I do this. But I'm trying to make my brain work, and my brain wasn't at Oswego in the 60s. I wasn't even born until 67, so I'm I'm trying to remember from past programs that I read. But I think it was Ernie June, in fact, who brought out, um, I want to say it might have been a rear engine car. Um, some sort of a, 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 a different looking car. And I think back in the beginning, he was 65 and I, I, he didn't drive it. I can't remember. Gosh, I can't remember who it would have been, but I, I swear I remember that again. I, sometimes you just sort of confuse things as you get older and, um, data blends together in your brain. But, um, I think I remember that, uh, that there was a 65, Back in the late sixties, maybe mid late sixties, um, and I think it was a, a June car, um, Eldon Schrader. Maybe I don't know. I, I again, I'm sure somebody can set me straight on that. But then the first sixty five that I remember was Tom Bliss, and th- the reason I say sixty five is an interesting number in Speedway history is because 
Tom Bliss, though he only owned cars at Oswego for a short time, um, Tom enjoyed some really cool moments that I th- I think, um, I mean, they're very unique. Uh, the first one was when Joe Gozik stepped into the 65 car as a substitute ride for Joe. Um, maybe a motor had gone on the double zero or something. I can't remember, but um, Joe got in that car and went out. And I don't even remember the year, uh, but I just remember him going out and winning a feature. And <laughs> I remember just all of us, the the whole grandstand, it seemed like kind of erupted that night for him. We were all happy, but we were all kind of shocked. It was like, wow, did that just happen? Um, so that was a really cool moment. And then the other cool moment with the 65 with, with Tom was Danny Kapazinski, um, in the classic finishing in the top five. And again, Danny, you know, Danny's a, 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 I mean, his dad was a very, very, very dear friend of mine. Um, I still miss, there are certain, obviously for all of us, there are certain people in our past that went, you know, when they go go to be with the Lord, we, we just miss him forever. And one of the reasons I miss Mike Kapazinski so much is because, you know, back in the day, before we had all this Internet nonsense and cell phones you carried in your pocket, um, you know, Mike would just pick up the phone randomly. <laughs> Whether he was still living in Ohio or even after they came back to New York, he'd just pick up the phone and call me. And we would just talk for an hour or two. And, you know, whether we were talking about what's going on in his life or my life, or we were talking super modifieds or, you know, laughing about something or somebody, um, I, I just, I miss Mike dearly. Uh, and so Danny, uh, you know, I've known Danny, obviously. Well, I can't say I've known him his whole life because I... <laughs> He was Mike Rod age. Um, he was about six, I think, when I first actually saw him at the Mike Rod track. And um, and then, you know, on from there, of course. But Danny got into Tom's car and went out and had that top five in the Classic. And my gosh, that was one of the coolest things ever for me to see. Um, the accomplishment that that was. Um, and... And I know what it meant to Danny and, and, you know, and to the whole family, really. And again, you know, that was a cool moment for Tom. And um, so for me, that number will always kind of bring me back to those things. It's, uh, again, just it, it's it's one of those numbers that evokes fun memories for, for me more than anything. Because um, those were cool times and, and, and cool days and, and uh Again, it was uh, it was it was fun, and Tom Tom is a nice guy, and you know we 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 don't have enough Tom Blisses in the sport anymore. You know, there's not enough owners that that, and again, it's part of it's just the economics of it, but there's just not enough owners that that give drivers like Danny the kind of opportunity that Tom did, you know, or that have cars that Joe Gozik just sort of hops into one night and goes out and you know has a Hollywood moment, and so. Um, cool, cool stuff. And I'm sure that, that probably some of you have other, uh, drivers or things you can add to that. But again, I think it's one of those numbers that didn't get used very much, hasn't been used very much over the years. Um, so if any of you know of any that I missed, 
I was trying to even think about small blocks, uh, limited small blocks, um, and and I'm just drawn. I drew a blank, and again, I don't I don't research these things. I like to tax my brain. That's why I always like it when somebody, oh, you forgot this one, or here's one that you can add. Um, and uh, so at the '60s, I just kind of have to remember as much as I can because I wasn't there. Um, and that's I just feel like I remember a rear engine car or some sort of a weird looking '65 that I think was a June car. Um, so again, somebody can help me with that. Um, so there's that. And with that, I'm going to kind of wrap this show up again. My goal for this week, Mike Bruce, if you're listening to this, um, I want you on next week's show. Um, that's, that's the goal. We're going to, I want to, I'll reach out to you. Don't worry. Uh, we'll set up an interview. I want to talk to Mike, um, and make sure that his car owner is doing okay, because I'm a little concerned for Rich's uh, mental health. He has nine cars. Um, and I don't know if anybody in Oswego Speedway history has ever owned nine cars. I'm just sitting here thinking at this moment that I think Rich Worth is now unique in the Oswego Speedway, the annals of Speedway history. He owns nine cars. I want you all to let that sink in. Somebody please check in on him this week. Take his temperature. Make sure he's doing okay. <laughs> uh, but I just think it's great. Uh, it's it's just so much fun uh, that those guys, all of that, that whole big team is just a bunch of fun people and um, just the kind of people that, that you need in a, in a situation like a Swiggo Speedway of the Super Modified. You just need that kind of passion and people willing to, to put real skin in the game like that. And uh, so <laughs> I don't know where he's putting them all, and I, I don't have an explanation for um, his mental state. Like I said, I'm a little concerned. Um, he may need, uh, may need to, to visit a doctor, but, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what this giant team does next year. And we'll talk to Mike Bruce, hopefully on next week's show. And, uh, want to get to Cameron Rowe down, down the road as well. Uh, and hopefully even to Rob Bruce, because Rob set to make his debut as well. And has had some good track time to kind of get used to things with the small block. And so, uh, just uh, looking forward to spending some time with some of those guys. Um, also, I want to just kind of let you all know, I know that, you know, this is a super modified show, but every once in a while, I try not to overdo it, but every once in a while, I feel the need to throw a shameless plug for the rest of my media into this. Um, you know, I, I've, I've got five shows. Um, this show's one. We, we do a, a modified podcast called Mainly Modifieds. That I'm doing, and again, that one's kind of been sporadic as well, so don't feel like you, this is the only show that I've kind of put aside, but we've done a couple of more of those only because we've got the Smart Modified Tour that's just relaunched down here, which is Southern Modified Auto Race Teams. It kind of went away when the NASCAR Southern Modified Tour came in for a number of years. They kind of um, told the South to go take a lap and went back up north, and so Smart Tour decided to reform and uh, so we've been kind of building some shows around that this year. Um, so there's that show that's dedicated mostly, at least, to modified racing, um, north and south, by the way. And then we've got uh, the other three shows that we do, Lead Lap Radio, uh, where we're doing that right now. Anyway, we're doing that on Monday nights. That show is a local and regional racing show, and 
that applies geographically to you know a lot of content from here in the, the, the greater Carolinas region, but I also apply it to local and regional uh, series everywhere. So um, we, we branch out once in a while and, and talk about what's going on in other regions of the country, and I'm starting to build some folks who kind of want to be a part of that. Um, so that's going to be a fun, it's kind of evolving into at least partially a bit of a short track focus show um, for, you know, for the future. So that one's a weekly show. We've got Motorsports Madness, which is our flagship show. That show we record live on Thursday nights. It airs live as we record it. It airs live on the Performance Motorsports Network. You can just, there's there's an app. If you go to your app store for your device, PMN, Performance Motorsports Network, PMN Radio. You can get that app. It's free. And you can listen to all the PMN shows and our, our live show. We do two sh- two of the shows live. One, the lead lap show on Monday nights from 7 to 9 right now is, is live and then our Thursday show, Motorsports Madness, presented by My Computer Career, that show's live as well from 7 to 9 on Thursday nights, Eastern Times all, by the way. Um, and that show is, that's our big show. That's usually a three to four host show. We talk NASCAR, we talk F1, we talk IndyCar. We, we we're liable to talk anything, uh, to be honest. We, um, this coming week, for example, um, We've got Big Bill Venturini and his wife that are coming in. We're going to kind of relive uh, some some Arca stories from the old days and um, Bill's history as a team owner and whatever. And um, that is a real privilege. Uh, We're working on Bobby Labonte for a show just after the new year. Bobby ran the Smart Modified Tour finale down here in Florence, South Carolina a couple of weeks ago. I was there. Talked with Bobby. We're trying to get him set up through his people for uh, a Motorsports Madness show in sometime in January, if we can, before everything gets started again. Um, we'll spend probably, well, I mean, if Bobby will allow it, we'll spend almost a whole show with him. Um, and uh, also working on Daryl Waltrip for a show as well uh, in the early part of, of 2021 for that show. That show is syndicated on the weekends worldwide. We are on Sirius XM. We're on American Forces Network with that. We're on about 33, I think we are now, AMFMs across the country. Um, and then all the top digitals, and most of them twice, because our syndicator, Sports Byline USA, has their own channels on all of those Spotify and TuneIn and Apple and Google, etc. But then we have our own feed as well. So that's why I kind of brought all this up. There's a, there, there are two really easy ways to get any of the content, including this show, by the way. Um, so if you have friends that are not on Facebook, which is kind of where this show lives, make sure you let them know there's one of two ways. My website, racechasermedia.com or racechaseronline.com, both of them will work. But go to racechasermedia.com or racechaseronline.com slash shows. And on the shows page, we have a playlist for each of our shows. So if you if you just want to listen to this show every week, um, that's an easy way to do it. Because as soon as it's uploaded, 
um, to SoundCloud and you see all of the distribution on Facebook, um, it automatically populates on my website as well. So um, all of our shows, as we do them within 24 to 48 hours, are updated on the the web page and on available on demand so if you want to listen to it at three in the morning uh because you can't sleep well it'll be there for you so that's one way racechasermedia.com or racechaseronline.com slash shows forward slash shows just go to the shows page um and also that's the easy way to catch the live shows because whenever we go live um we simulcast to the player on that page so that shows page on our Race Chaser Online website um, is critical for live and on demand. So you can find everything there. Um, or, like I said, if you're, if you're kind of a little more technically savvy and you like to get content from like Spotify or Apple or Google or wherever you get your music and podcasts from, just search Race Chaser Radio. Race Chaser Radio. That's it. And just click the follow button. And that way, every time a new show goes up, you'll know about it. And um, it'll be, again, they, they auto-populate. So we're, and and of course, uh, I talked to you in the first segment about something I'm working on for next year uh, that looks like it's going to happen, believe it or not. Um, and so not quite ready to announce the details, but that'll be another way. And that will, if... I say only because, again, until everything's in place, if that comes to fruition, there's going to be a real elevation of content that that we're going to be generating, and all of the shows will have a much bigger audience. And we're going to try to, because we're trying to bring something to the motorsports community in general that it doesn't have exactly the way that we're doing it right now. We're doing something that that's very unique and i've got again i've got a a good team of people that are working on this we're kind of um in the phase of uh, you might call it brainstorming and kind of building the exactly what it's going to be when it grows up kind of details and um once we have everything in place as to the exact vision of it then we'll be able to talk about it and um, it's, it's something that for me would be a once in a lifetime opportunity, uh, to, to do something that hopefully will make a difference in, in the motorsports community for, for everybody and will be fun and entertaining and, and, uh, resourceful and, and, um, a diversion from all the crap that we're dealing with in life right now. Right. So, um, if you're a praying person, um, I would appreciate some prayers uh, about the Lord's will for that project because uh, it certainly could be very good. Um, And, you know, at that point, uh, we're going to have some amazing opportunities if businesses want to be a part of it. Um, They're going to have a a huge audience to to put their business in front of. Um, So if you're the scale of a business that is kind of nationwide and you know, you, you you want to grow and get some exposure. I've got some opportunities right now for you that will lead to um, a much bigger opportunity as we get into 21 a little bit. So just let me know and uh, like to help, you know, and like to uh, put something together with you. So um, thank you for uh, listening to the show. 
Thank you for another great year of making this so much fun for me. You know, again, all your comments and your feedback is what keep me going. We, um, we want to, I want to be bigger and better next year um, for all of the shows that I do, not just for this one. So that's what we're working on. We'll be back in a week with episode 66. Mike Bruce will be uh, a a guest we hope uh <laughs> i after i've i'm pretty much you know um we'll get uh we'll get rich to uh uh just you know threaten to fire him if he doesn't do the show or something um and uh, <laughs> but uh hopefully we'll have mike on next week and uh who knows who else will creep in uh by the way um i want to make mention too real quick before we close that uh the reason we we don't have cam on today is cam is still in norway uh, enjoying his last week there, he will be back uh, on U.S. soil um, in about a week, and uh, we'll have Camden back on future shows here. Uh, I I think it's great that he's been able to spend that time over there, um, and the the stories he's told me about uh, Norway as a country and and things that I mean you've you've all seen the pictures, um, just a beautiful place. So uh, good for him and. Um, looking forward to uh, having him back involved as well. So, again, thanks for uh, listening, and we'll be back next week. Hopefully Mike Bruce will be a featured guest, and we'll talk Classic Rewind. We've got one or two more of those to cover, and uh, maybe we'll have Cam back on as well. Who knows uh, what else will be happening by then. Rich Worth will probably have some more cars to talk about, so uh, (laughs) we'll get you up to date on all of that. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. Uh, So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.